1: Okay, welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We've got Jim Robinson. He's managing partner at RR&E Ventures, one of the premier venture capital funds. So welcome to podcast, Jim. Thank you, sir. Glad
2: to uh, glad to be here.
1: You kind of <laughs> smirked a little bit. Is it
2: not one of the premier ones? Well, Listen, it's just a great
1: lead, and I should we should go everywhere together, and you can you can open for me. <laughs> yeah, I can be your your introduction. No, but I mean, you've you've had what five funds of seven seven funds of yeah. two hundred fifty million usually, I think, or like yeah. how large are they? So all
2: of our funds, except our first one, which was twenty years ago, which was a hundred
1: million, all of our funds have
2: been targeted at about two fifty. Sometimes, you know, our current one is 280. I mean, it varies depending on, on season, but, uh, and what's happening in the market. Um, but typically in any fund, we invest in 20 or 25 companies and we're pretty broad. So we do a lot of different things. I mean, as you know, I'm full time and have been for 15 or, you know, 18 months on, on Bitcoin, but we're doing a lot in robotics. We're in the satellite business. We're launching nanosats. We're, you know, so we're a pretty broad organization, a lot of enterprise and Internet as well.
1: These are mainly tech-focused VC funds, right? Yeah, And so, I mean, you've, you've had some of the big names out there, like BuzzFeed, right, and, like, what are... BuzzFeed Media. Um, we, the way we
2: divide the world up, because we're based in New York, is New York is seven industries that are sort of the stovepipes. And people know what they are. They're financial services and media and publishing and advertising and, you know, even things like uh, fashion. And we invest in those sectors that are being transformed. Uh i stay away from the disrupted in the sense that um, you know a lot of those industries actually adapt to the technology. So it's transformed by technology. And that's where we invest.
1: Okay. You'd mentioned you're now full time on Bitcoin stuff for like the last eighteen months. And I find this very interesting because your father, he had been CEO at American Express, right? And so I mean you're one of the vanguard premier VC funds in tech. Why is Bitcoin getting your time and attention? Sure.
2: Well, it actually goes back 15 years or more. We've always been payment system investors. You know, in the mid-90s, we spent a lot of time uh, with folks like David Chong with DigiCash and with, uh, you know, CyberCash and the whole ilk of them. In the then era, the problem that we were all trying to solve was micropayments. So if you think about the Internet as it began to roll out, the first industries that were really put at risk were media and publishing. There are a couple of roads you could go down. One is the world we live in today, which, you know, half a percent of those places have a paywall because they can. The like
1: New York Times, or Financial Journal, Times, FT, Wall Street Journal.
2: Very small list. And then there's everyone else. So what we were trying to do was unlock essentially, you know, the 402 protocol then. Uh, of allowing... Yeah, payment method not
1: specified. Yeah,
2: payment method not specified. But you couldn't do it because you simply could not use the existing, you know, oligopoly infrastructure, the interchange, to transact at $0.10, cents, $0.15, cents, $0.05, cents, $0.25, cents, $0.50, cents, because well, it costs more to actually do the transaction than the transaction well, wants.
1: And they were just not built for the Internet. Like credit cards, debit cards, I mean, they're an obsolete technology in that sense. Like you're trying totally. to bring a Gutenberg press onto the Internet, and like no amount of duct tape is going to help it like work with the server, right? Okay. We need a native digital or virtual technology to be able to accomplish this, because at the end of the day, we're talking about protocols and the transfer of data or information over this worldwide web, and so like they just didn't work.
2: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And you know, always with a new technology, and the new protocol, you try to initially sort of glom on the the past, you know, metaphor to the present. Uh, but in the case of those guys, this was all using elliptic curves. It was all cryptocurrency related. It was sort of the underpinnings of kind of where this thing ultimately evolved. But it was the wrong time. The world wasn't ready. It was the 56K dial-up world. Most people were just beginning to get AOLized, if you will. Yeah, I mean, there
1: was, there, there was no Facebook. No, YouTube no didn't exist. That's right. You have chat rooms
2: and all groups and, you know, a tiny bit of shopping here and there. And, of course, the dot-coms fooled that up. So our history has been in investing in lots of different things, but lots of payment-related systems as well and processing-related systems. Uh, for whatever reasons, um, I've been focused personally for many years on trying to figure out how to undo uh, what amounts to an oligopoly of just a few names that charge two to 250 basis points to everybody that uh, has, has credit cards. Uh, there's no reason why they charge that. The fact is, well, they can. Well, they, they do it because they can. But you know, the fact is they could do it profitably for seventy or eighty basis points. Mm-hmm. I know this because we sold a company a few years ago that gave them exactly that uh, that possibility. They do it because they can. And so I look at, at Bitcoin and the blockchain as a way to completely reset—not just upset, but reset how we transact.
1: What Bitcoin companies have you made investments in so far with RR&E?
2: well we've made uh, about nine investments a couple of them are in stealth um, I can talk I mean some of them you know that pay is one I, I can't talk about the fund structure that we're invested in uh, publicly but we're in one of the larger what amounts to indexes in the space we're a large investor in chain we're in mirror we're in, so there's a you know a long list of them and we're continuing to invest we've probably put about 15 million into the space uh, I'm in the process now of putting another 10 or so in, uh, and really it's in it all five of the areas, right? So we're somewhat in mining, and then everything north of the mining stack uh, we participate in, whether it's wallets or accounts or
1: exchanges, merchant exchanges, processors,
2: 2.0 stuff, people that are focused on the blockchain, smart contracts. Now,
1: now, why is the blockchain so fascinating to you? I mean, does it actually solve any pain points for people? Or is this just like fun tech to kind of twiddle our thumbs with?
2: <laughs> so I break out the world in developed and developing. That to me is the sort of the central line in terms of use cases. True with digital currency. True with blockchain. Uh, in the developed world, there are any number of I think uh, important applications around using a public general ledger that's that's available to everybody at every time. Whether it's everything that happens at Wall Street and Reg FD and how we do disclosures today, which is silly and creates enormous cottage industries of accounting and audits. And, you know, it's, it's the, the, the climate of the trust-based or the industry of the trust-based back backbone is so expensive. And frankly, we can do away with all of that and automate a ton of it and automate most all of it, um, and, and have a whole lot less, but it's also, you know, where the rubber meets the road with consumers. Think about TransUnion, Experian. I mean, all of these offshoots that, that create arguably more problems than they solve, um, could go away with the blockchain deposit or,
1: or be radically changed radically you know, transformed. i mean because i don't necessarily think we're going to see like just this kind of flipping of the iceberg i think no, I we're going to see you know gradual incremental organic change i mean do we have a specific example of a pain point that that this blockchain technology could solve sure
2: um but by the way on your
1: just briefly on your on your
2: point about the iceberg flip i agree it, it It seems like tipping points like that happen. And yet one of the things that I always like to point to when I teach classes is name for me more than six brands from the dot-com era. In other words, the incumbents tend to win more often than not. And that will be true here too. But if we radically change how they do things, just because the brand itself may may win, it doesn't mean that the spirit of that organization hasn't been forever altered. Yeah, there are a lot of use cases. I'll give you a great example of one. Um, so not long ago, I spent about an hour and a half with uh, the state AG, of uh, one of our nation's largest states. I probably shouldn't say which one. And it was interesting because, you know, as someone who spends a lot of his time in the public eye, you know, on issues like Airbnb and Uber, you know, just all of these these kinds of things, it turns out the single biggest problem that he faces day to day and that his staff faces are inbound calls. Now, this is a large state with a large population. And it's about 300 a week. People saying, I can't find my damn house title or the bank never sent it to
1: me. I don't have the title. And he has 300 calls a week. 300 calls a week minimum. That's 60 a day. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, right. that's probably like a full time person just to answer these calls saying, Enormous well, we, we can't find your house mortgage either.
2: <laughs> right. So, so here's,
1: you know, here's a simple small scale yet
2: super important one. You know, whether or not we can sort of you know, ultimately migrate or create you know, a, an identity that's a digital identity for physical assets on Moss, we can certainly do it with titles. Certainly uh, titles to things like homes, cars, etc. In that use case, if you just said, okay, let's take these bank titles from these banks in this state and put them in the blockchain where you know the assets there, you know it's the sort of pedigree or the history of the asset, etc. Uh, the provenance then you solve, I don't know, you tell me 90 plus percent of that problem. Yeah, and that's just I, one small use case and one big state.
1: Isn't that what we want to accomplish with technology? I mean, when Nikolai Tesla envisioned the electrical system, he remembered Gutha's words, the glow retreats, done right. is the day of toil. Right. I mean, you know, people didn't necessarily have to be washing clothes and just so much of the manual labor that went into day-to-day life. I mean, why do we have how many people sitting there answering phone calls like trying to find their mortgages when it could instantly be looked up the chain the quality all of it could be instantly ascertained we could know what securities are pledged or hypothecated or where the ownership is i mean all of this stuff should be automated very easy to verify i was talking with a federal reserve bank uh bank examiner She was like, you know, we should be able to automate pretty much all of this examination process, which if we're able to put more and more of these assets onto the blockchain, whether it's houses or cars or airplanes or stocks or bonds or whatever it is, then we can know who owns what and then we can know how it's encumbered. And then a lot of our verification and confidence and trust, a lot of that can all just be automated.
2: Well, we don't have, right. to have I all mean, the cottage
1: industries, the title insurance, and all the validation
2: and verification pieces of that puzzle that we have to have today in order
0: to
1: right, and that transact. and that frees up that human capital to then be working on much more complex problems like m- things that are going to be adding more and more value to humanity i mean sure. you know we invent the washing machine we don't need people there's a whole cottage industry of people like washing gloves but now now we're able to do it with washing machines and like humanity's better for that you could say i mean that's what our technology helps us to do
2: well it's the classic you know issue of okay what about robotics and you know we displace jobs and 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 washing machines are an example of that. Yes, all technologies, although there's never been one that's ever been positive or negative, they're all neutral by definition. It's what we do with them. But advance the ball in terms of making us more productive and more efficient. And there is a displacement period where retraining and and education from the beginning has to start in a different direction. It actually generates typically more opportunities than it raises. At least that's been our historical human experience. Perhaps there's a point at which that isn't true, and some people say it's robots and AI, who knows? Um, but, you know, in general, these technologies will evolve and we will have some pain in transitions to jobs and so forth. And take banking, I mean, take retail banking. How many people do you know actually use their retail chain? I don't mean the ATM that's stuck onto the side of it, but actually go in, stand online, and, and deal with banks. So, awful lot of people involved in maintaining, carrying, and feeding, supporting, cleaning, securitizing um, and uh, and working at uh, those things. And yet, fact is, you know, what is a major bank today? You know, I would argue it's an early version of Dropbox.
1: That's a very interesting tangent. Uh, BitPay recently landed Microsoft mm-hmm. as somebody who now, you know, they process the Bitcoin transactions for. And in the press release, Microsoft said, you know, we're dipping our toe into it. We're learning about it, but we've got big plans Uh, for bitcoin yeah i mean are they tipping their hand like what i mean why do you bring that up like why are you analogizing a bank to dropbox like maybe you can help people make the connection not not all of us went to harvard business school you know (laughs) so to me
2: if you're jp morgan or hsbc or citibank then today you have several businesses but one of your main businesses is you're federally and internationally allowed to be a depository institution, you can take deposits and you can store money. Well, it turns out you don't actually store money. You don't walk into a bank and they say, okay, Trace, let me go to, you know, Trace is safe over here on the wall and take out Trace's money. You are already a digit stream. You're probably a digit to them today in most of what you do. And it really doesn't matter what you transact, whether or not it's getting cash from an ATM or taking out a mortgage or, you know, any kind of payment stream, wiring money, et cetera. You're basically a digital file. In their database,
1: in, the in database. their in their ledger. In
2: their ledger, they have digit strings that represent your money. So they're already, in some ways, Dropbox, if you think about it. Now, they do other things. There's an investment banking arm, and obviously there's, you know, prop trading, and then if you're managing your own money and so forth, asset management. But in that part of the business, in the, in the part that touches most people when they think of these banks, Citibank, Wells Fargo, B of A, whatever, uh, the part that they're thinking about, the consumer part, which is generally the biggest part, um, other than bricks and mortar retail locations, ATMs, what are they? I would argue they're Dropbox.
1: Dropbox for An assets. early incarnation
2: of Dropbox for assets. So in 10 years or 15 years, you can debate the timeline. It's not two, uh, but in a timeline that is something I think like that, they are going to be in the business, if you ask me, of storing Digital proxies of assets that are physical. And much like a safe deposit box, which, by the way, isn't where your house title or your car titles are, probably, if you're like most people. Mm-hmm. It may be where they should be, but they aren't because nobody has them. Well, oh, you don't know where they are. That's nobody. why you're calling the, <laughs> the, <why> you're <laughs> the calling Attorney General office, right? <laughs> exactly right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- this kind of raises a- another issue. Uh, I had interviewed Perry Ann Boring. She's uh, down there at the Chamber of Digital Commerce. You've been a big supporter of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Uh, they do you know, a lot of education, lobbying down in D.C. and on the Hill. Why do you think that's important?
2: So, um, right, you can make the case that, you know, are you cavorting with the enemy or, you know, you know should you be doing this to begin with? Are you inviting attention? I can, here's how I look at it. It's the Hippocratic Oath. First, let's make sure that we do no harm with bad legislation. So to me, before people that actually have trigger pull on legislative acts make them, let's try to make sure if they're going to make them anyway, which in certain cases they are, let's try to make sure they've taken the time to be thoughtful and understand all the different aspects of the argument. If that has the effect of delaying whether three months, six months, two years, whatever uh, legislative action, I view that as a win. That gives the ecosystem more time to develop, more time to do its own thing, to do its own self sort of writing uh, 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 work and prevents bad legislation. So it's not so much about pro-legislation today. Maybe that day comes. I guess with most technologies, as they mature out enough, you end up on the pro side of how do we you know, do the right things versus the wrong things. But for today, it's, in my, in my mind, strictly you know, an educational um, exercise
1: yeah because i mean if we go back and look at other technologies like cars for example um in england they had passed a law that you had to somebody somebody had to be out in front of the car to like keep yeah, people right. you know, or you know wa- from, like, walking in walk, front of the car that's right you right. had to walk in front of the car to keep people from like getting run over or whatever and that limited the speed at which the cars could go to like three or four miles per hour you find that inefficient do you Not only is it inefficient, but there are unintended consequences. And those consequences played out for decades. Mm -hmm. You know, why are the major car companies, none of them are UK brands? Probably because they stifled in its very earliest days uh, this new industry, this new technology of, of the cars. And then... Along with that, you know, the airplanes, because, you know, if we're going to have combustion engines and we're going to be innovating in this area, like if you know how to build cars, well, you you know, you put wings on it and you're going to be transferring a lot of that institutional knowledge and technology into that additional industry and then airplanes. And would the U.S. really have gotten to space had they like Britain stifled their automobile industry, which stifled their aerospace industry, which would have stifled their uh, space industry, Mm -hmm. uh, which would then lead to, you know, all types of uh, lack of competitive advantage with satellites and, you know, other technologies like that. And so we don't necessarily know all the unintended consequences or the future reality tree that that. Legislation in the present can do to hamper stuff.
2: Well, just look at the state of, of the internet today, particularly in the Western world. Let's take America as an example.
1: Um, you've got
2: really only four or five providers that handle the backbone to something like seventy-five or eighty percent of the traffic. That's why we have, you know, highbrow discussions around net neutrality and things like this. But the fact is, we live again in an oligopoly. There, too, where a very few are able to control and affect regulation and legislation around the gateways because it's in their interest to do so. And that's an unintended consequence. It probably costs us, I don't know, you can tell me, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, some real amount of time. Ultimately, the technologies tend to win out, but it can definitely stall and affect for
1: many decades to come
2: uh, the curve.
1: That's one thing that I think's uh, kind of worrisome for the U.S. Is, uh, I mean, I know I know hundreds of people that have now left the U.S. to pursue their Bitcoin businesses in more friendly jurisdictions. Yeah, whether it's Isle of Man, whether it's London, particularly uh, Vienna, uh, Germany, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong. I mean, these jurisdictions. I, I mean, I know very smart people that are leaving. Like one of my friends, he recently finished a PhD in statistics and Netflix had offered him like $400,000 a year and working from home, and he turned it down to go to Hong Kong to work on Bitcoin-related businesses. Uh, So it's, I mean, this brain drain that's happening from the U.S. because we don't really have the regulatory environment that is friendly enough to the industry. It could... We don't know what long-term effects that's going to have uh, on our tech industry particularly. I mean, is that something you're kind of worried about? I mean, are we going to see other tech industries follow suit and kind of get up and leave? Um, well, we had an inflection point with the Internet
2: 15, 20 years ago where this a very this very similar issue came up. Of, I mean, today, if you buy a TV, it has a V-chip in it. You don't know what that is anymore, but most people don't because they don't have to because we never really lit it up and we don't really use it. But The reality is there's a chipset in TVs, the chip that is limited at or aimed at controlling content because we we fretted 15, 18 years ago about bad things happening in your living room and therefore the government imposed the requirement that a chip go into your TV that can prevent bad things, i.e. the internet, you know, or that part of the internet that they deemed bad from happening. Um, so, you know, We managed to muddle through that, and and we faced, in my view, that same issue today of, of the blockchain. And will uh, the U.S. regulatory environment uh, stymie development here and drive people to, to go overseas? It's already happened some. I'm actually not terribly worried about the amount that's happened to date, I think.
1: Well, because it's just so nascent. I mean, Bitcoin's not even a... a- speck on a fly on the elephants behind right now. I mean, it's just so tiny.
2: But if it stays this way, mm-hmm. then I would say two things about it. One is it's a problem for the U.S. And two is thank God we've got a global um, uh, economy today. And so the fact is there are other places they can go. Um, and so it won't stymie as much the development as it might have historically. But it's not good for the U.S.
1: Not good for it in a lot of ways. Uh, could, sure. You know, brain like, drain as you uh, mentioned. brain drain national security like we've been there's recently been reignited talk about this clipper chip 2.0 right yeah uh, so i right mean again, right? i mean what what like one of the reasons we have such a strong national security and in cryptography industry in the US is because we didn't let things like the chipper, clipper chip go through right. what 10 years ago right. uh, i mean do we kind of have any thoughts on that area if if the US loses some of the the brain drain in this financial services uh, in this new creative destruction coming out of blockchain technology. I mean, could that have larger ramifications uh, of geopolitical significance?
2: Well, so my guess is the answer is yes. It's it's easy to sort of spiral into a bunch of use cases where that could be true over time, but, but it's hard to really know to me, the, what you just mentioned, the, the, the thing that's most interesting is you know, when you take the, at least the enforcement side or the the letter agencies, let's call them in the U.S., um, most that I've talked to actually ultimately like the direction this thing is going. They don't want it to happen tomorrow. They want to slow it
1: down. Well, I don't think any of us want it to happen tomorrow. I mean, right. that would just be a gigantic bubble that would burst and come yeah, all types of night. problems. That's I mean, right. I kind of like the organic growth that... You know, we're we're able to grow in a very sustainable and at uh, the node, uh, not centralized. Yeah, yeah, they want
2: centralized. Uh, so I don't mind that part of the development cycle because I think that it actually is important. to Your point that this be at the nodes, not at the central station, and that it sort of take hold and take root and develop strong roots. And I love the survivability of it. When I say survivability, I don't mean just because of some sort of a nuclear cataclysm. I'm just talking about survivability against any one sovereign, which includes certainly the U.S., but any other of the sovereigns as well.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we're seeing big growth of Bitcoin in uh, a lot of these developing markets. Uh, Philippines, is developing a, world. you know, there's a lot of uh, coins.ph and Rebit.ph. I mean, you can send Bitcoins now to someone in the Philippines and it's yeah. the physical peso cash is delivered to their house by motorbike within an hour.
2: One of our startups is, is actually in that business. In um, that space. And I'm a huge... So in the developing world as opposed to the developed world, the use cases for the, the currency itself are... And there, by the way, there's there actually are, in my view, use cases in the developed world as well. People say, what's the use case? I always say, well, payments is the first app, <laughs> <Yeah. out>. um, <laughs> But uh, first of many... But in the developing world you don't even have payments you don't have you have, you have two thirds of the world that really doesn't have access yeah they don't to even have credit card infrastructure of any kind well forget credit cards most of the world uses debit cards most of the world that has cards uses debit worlds which is still about half or less so so it's an enormous Opportunity set, and, and
1: yet FedEx and UPS still ship to these countries. They do. Uh, I mean, we could we could really increase U.S. jobs and exports by being able to open up these new markets Lighting that we previously couldn't open up because of payments uh, being the bottleneck. I think that whether it's you know repatriation of funds, remittances
2: back home, whether it's enabling buyers that couldn't heretofore access markets that now have access. Um, All at low cost, by the way, Um, you know, very, very little incremental cost for them to both come online and then utilize the, the systems. I mean, to me, this is where the world gets the most interesting, particularly around payments, is when you light up half the world that doesn't make payments today.
1: Well, and that's, you know, kind of, I guess, to close on, that's really what we want to do is light up the world. You know, we just like electricity lighted up the world, just like airplanes have lighted up destinations, just like automobiles and washing machines and uh, the internet and fax machines. All of this is just part of humanity's long journey from the swamps to the stars. And, you know, we're just in kind of the next iteration, the next uh, development of technology in that. And it's, It's really been great having you with us, you know, one of the, you know, the premier tech funds, looking at these new technologies, deciding which ones get funded, which ones don't, which are are the good ideas. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us to uh, discuss these things. Is there kind of a closing thought that you'd like to leave with everybody? Uh, before we, we wrap it up?
2: Well, listen, I think this is all fine and well until our robotic overlords arrive, but uh, <laughs> hopefully they looks at <accept> Bitcoin.
1: <laughs> and, and for any of our uh, Bitcoin entrepreneurs that, that need to come and beg for money, uh, how did they find you?
2: Well, I'm yeah, easy to find. Jim at RE, you know, we're actively investing and in, in supporting in, in the community and, uh, you know, are believers that this is a huge tectonic shift in how people transact around the world.
1: Wonderful. We've had... Uh, Jim Robinson, Managing Partner at RRE Ventures, uh, RRE.com. Thanks for being with us.
2: Cheers.
0: Be sure to get a copy of the Free Bitcoin Guide at FreeBitcoinGuide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at Bitcoin.KN don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.